Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. It is a blessing for me to come to you. And I'm Bertie Brits. And those of you that watch via television and uh, seeing this uh, webcast that is streamed later on television, I want to welcome you. And the program that we have today is going to be all about the creation of man. I'm going to look at uh, the, the creation of man, the substance that man was made out of, we're also going to look at the ability of that substance, what it actually was. Then we're going to look at the garden where God placed man and uh, the reason why God made woman, uh, in, in this case of being a help to Adam, where he was, they weren't supposed to be a help in trying to dig in the garden or something like that. There was a completely different reason. And we're going to see how we can stand free from temptation and how God actually brings the victory in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to start off by reading uh, from Genesis 2 verse 7, and we're going to quickly look at verse 7 to 9 there. It reads as follows, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put man, whom he has formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight of <clears throat> in his sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we see here that God comes and he creates man from the dust of the ground. And that is very important. Man was created from the dust of the ground. As I say this, it comes to my mind that the Bible, when it talks in John 8 verse 21, it talks about Jesus, which says to the Pharisees, basically, that you are from beneath, but I am from above. And where I go, you cannot come. And then they said to him, uh, they were wondering by themselves, well, is he going to kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. He says, no, um, it is not that way. And then he said to them, you will actually die in your sin and you will not be able to be where I am, which is life. Uh, so it, it, what he was actually saying is, I'm not going to die. You guys, are, you guys are dying. I'm alive because I am from above and you are from beneath. And we are talking about that beneath here. I want you to understand that <clears throat> the things that I'm going to share today might be technical again, it might be uh, philosophical, theological, it might seem difficult to understand. But as you get these things to, to, to flow together and understanding comes, you will see how simple it actually is. And you will also experience the greatness of the power of understanding this. Because as you start to understand this, you will really understand what, why we should not live by the law, why we should not try and live by what I would call self-preservation or the power of the flesh. You can understand what sin in the flesh really is. And the whole thing of trusting God and relying upon Him and the whole reason why we are made and what God is busy with will make so much more sense. You know, if you are at a place, if you arrive at a place with your car and you see that there is a traffic jam there, and you stand in the middle of the road, and you see, my goodness, there's a big mess up here. 
um, and you don't know what is going on in front. It's almost as if there is a kind of an irritation. But if you know that maybe there is a riot in front or maybe there, is, there was an accident or maybe there was a, uh, the, the road gave way or something like that, then all of a sudden it's as if you are calm because you understand. And the same thing about the gospel. I remember there was a time when I was think, saying, well, I don't care about theology. I don't care about all those kind of things. All I care, care about is the power of God. <laughs> In the meantime, what I was actually saying is, I'm not caring about God's logic. Uh, theology is actually uh, the logic where we see who God really is. That is what it is. And we have confused that with just difficult terms and all those kind of things and a life wherein there is no power. The Apostle Paul came and he was, he was a person that was really into explaining the depths of the gospel, taking it from the beginning right through to the end. And what I'm going to share to you today is taken up in John, it's taken up in Romans chapter 7, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, it is, it's everywhere in the New as well. <coughs> And this Apostle Paul, he said that when he would come to, um, I think the church in Corinth, he said, when I come to you, I don't want to hear about your uh, wise words, but I want to see the power. So what we see there is that Paul came and he basically said that this true gospel is powerful and should you be going back to Judaism or should you go, be going back to all those law systems, I would like to see what fruit can that message bring forth in you for what I'm teaching you really is powerful and does bring forth fruit. So here we see, and let's get back to the message, <clears throat> here we see that the writer of Genesis tries to communicate something to his audience. And even the people that, that would put the Bible together uh, under the inspiration of God, would say, we're going to put in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You know, there were many books, and they had to make up this book. And there were people involved in this whole thing. It was not angels that wrote it, it was humans. And they, when they wrote this, the, the letters or the documents they wrote, they had a reason why they wrote that, and there was something they tried to communicate. And when we read from Genesis 2 verse 7 all the way down to, I think we're going to go down to 21 <coughs> or 18 here, uh, we're going we're to clearly see that the writer of the, of the book of Genesis tries to communicate to people that they were mortals and that the only life they had was from God. That is what he's trying to, to say. And what he's trying to communicate is that God is the creator and that he will create life or he will give you life, but not just give you life and then you must create your own life out of that, but he will give you life and then from his influence, by his love, he will also create a life for you that's tailor-made for you. And that would also be part of his kingdom then, manifesting in this world. So here we see in Genesis 2 verse 7 that he says the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Why would you put such detail in a letter? Why would it be important for us today as a church, why would it be important for us to know that we were made from the dust of the earth? Why even write that? 
Why not just say, and God made man? That's it. But there's specific detail here. He didn't just say that, that man was made from the ground of the earth. He says he was made of the dust of the ground. And then he says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, there is, there's great, there's a message in that. God wants us to know what we are made of. God wants us to know what substance we are of, and there's a reason why he wants us to know that. Now, we see that he, he made man from this dust of the earth, and then he put him in a garden, and in this garden there was the tree of life, and there was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why would the writer of Genesis even write those things? Why would that be necessary for us to even know today? I think there is great reason. Now, we're going to look at the word dust there. You can just see on your slide um, the meaning of the word dust. <coughs> um, it is from the Hebrew word 6080, dust as powdered or gray, hence clay, earth, mud, ashes, dust, earth, ground, mortar, powder, or rubbish. And then the BDB definition, which is the Browns, Driver, and Briggs definition, says dry earth, dust, powder, ashes, earth, ground, mortar, rubbish, dry or loose earth, debris, mortar, or ore. I want to look at 1B there, which is debris, and you can see the definition of it there. It means scattered pieces of rubbish or remains. Now, <laughs> so we found that Adam was made of the dust of the earth. In other words, he was made out of the ashes, or he was, and I like the word ashes, because that word ashes is of such, such significance when it talks about Abraham when he believed that God could raise Isaac from the ashes as well as with with man where we believe that we will return back to the dust of the ground when we die we know that when you die either if you are cremated or if you just normally die you're going back to dust your body's going back to dust and here we see that there's already a message in Genesis about a God that from that dust creates a man and brings life to that man. And this is great and powerful. Now, I'm not going to get deep into that message, but I just want for those of you that's got an ear to hear, listen to the definition there of debris. Debris means scattered pieces of rubbish or remains. talks about something that leftovers, that remain scattered pieces of debris and how God took that and then um, and he took that from the earth. The, the, so there was the earth and then the dust of the earth. And from that dust, he created a man. And then that man that he created, he called that man Adam. Now, it was very important to understand what uh, naming things is all about. And we're going to look in depth at naming. Because in this whole revelation of how things was named in the Old Testament, we're going to see how Adam named uh, his wife, how he named the woman that God brought before him, how he named her woman, and what he saw in that, 
and why it was all like that. So here we see God came and he named Adam. When you named something in, the, in this context, you actually say or declare what that very thing is. So the word Adam comes from the Hebrew word Adama, and Adama is the word for ground. Now Adam was taken of the dust of the ground, so he was of the earth. And what it actually means, the word Adam, the best way I would describe it is earthy. And he was actually saying to Adam, by his name, saying to him, Adam, you, in your own ability, who you are as a person, your natural nature without me, you just by your own, you are earthy. You, in your own ability, um, are basically, you are taken from this uh, debris or this dust of the earth, and I've come out of where we get almost that, negative sense of scattered pieces of rubbish and debris, we see that there is disorder and God comes and He brings order and He brings life to it. But as He brings life to it, He wants that being that is now alive to know what it is by its own ability. And He basically named it what it is in itself. And He says, remember, you are Adam. Adam again, taken from the word Adama which means earth, Adam, earthy. The Bible even says that clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse 47. It says there that the first man, the first man, Adam, was of the earth, earthy. He was of the Adama, Adam, earthy. That is how I, is that, I have not read that in a book somewhere, but that's what I see there. And that's important to understand. Now let's read from verse 15. <coughs> Genesis 2 verse 15, And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now we can in another message talk about what that means. doesn't mean he had to go and work there for God. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And listen to this very important verse. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man be alone or should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. Okay. <clears throat> now, what's happening here? God takes this man that he has made from the dust of the earth. And we've now seen the importance of dust and the makeup of man. And he puts him in a garden to dress it and to keep it. Now, um, that word dress there talks about toiling the, the, the ground. That's what he had to come and do. And then keep it means to actually bring safety to it. For those of you that has an ear to hear, that actually talks about restoring and bringing glory to the planet and immortality to the planet um, or the place where he was living. Now, I don't have time to get into that. That will be off the point. But he puts him there, and then in the midst of that garden is the tree of life. Now that word life, if you study that out, you will see that that tree of life talks about life itself. But when applied, go and study that in, in, in uh, 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 Strong's, it actually means 
when applied, it talks about to revive or to make alive again, or make immortal, I would say, when we really see what this tree of, the, of life is. Now, when God made this man, which we can see in himself, he doesn't really have that much strength, is actually just uh, this debris or this dust taken together and now made alive. Now it's got a mind, this being, this man has got a mind, he's got a will, he's got emotions. He is, he, he's got the ability now to be influenced by God and to then also eat of the tree of life and be sealed in complete glorification or immortality, I would say. God puts this man in the garden and then he says, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 18 says, immediately, it's not good that man is alone. We immediately in that verse sees the warning that I don't want man to eat of it. I'll actually create someone to help him not to eat of that. That is the purpose. That is why Eve was there. It was someone, a friend, a companion, somebody that was just like him, that was not outside of his own being, um, that could relate to him, someone that was, that was supposed to help him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> okay, um, I'm just going to go to, uh, let's go to slide 6 there, Helena, please. And we're just going to read 2 verse 18 again, because I want you to, to understand this point. It says, <clears throat> And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet. Now, in the next slide there, we see the definition of the word help. The word help there means help, succor, help, one who helps. Um, and uh, in the end there, it says a related word by DBD or Strong's number from the Hebrew word 5826, which means to surround or to protect. So what does he say? He says, I'm going to need to make someone that can surround Adam, that can protect Adam. So there would be something in Eve that when Adam would look at her, it would protect him from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For should he eat of that tree, and in last week's message, we saw that that would be at a place where you actually fall into self-preservation or self-life or trying to work own ability and so live forever and never die. That is what it is all about. So here he says that we actually, Adam needed Eve to protect him. But then she was not even called Eve, she was called woman. And that's very important to understand. And the name from the beginning wasn't Eve, it was woman. Or she was a woman, which we can then call Eve. We're going to look at what woman is. Now the purpose of the, of the woman was to protect Adam, not in the sense of a battle or a war, but in that relationship, there's going to be something inside her that when Adam sees that, it helps him and protects him. Now before we get to that, I want to read the, the word secure there. Uh, what that means, it means to run to, to run to support, hence to help or relieve when in difficulty, 
want or distress to assist and deliver from suffering. Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself, this is Jesus, has suffered being tempted, he's also able to succor them that are tempted. Succor there, the meaning again there, aid, help, assistance, particularly assistance that relieves and delivers from difficulty, want, or distress. So we can see here that God said that he had to make Adam someone that can support him, that can help him when tempted. So in other words, if he, if the correct thing would have happened in the case of Eve, then Adam, there was something inside Eve and who and what she was, that would cause him not to fall into temptation. And we're going to look at that. The word woman, let's read uh, Genesis 2.19. Genesis 2.19, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord, this is verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed it up, and, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God has taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This now is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. Now there is so much significance, powerful truth in this. What this passage is saying is that God said, I need to make a help for Adam. Now remember the context. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. Listen to what the, the guy in Genesis tried to say here, the writer of Genesis. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. God said to Adam, you are in a garden, but remember, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't engage dust. Why? Because when you do that, you will die. Because we can read that, I, I skipped that slide in slide 5 there. It actually talks about Adam in Genesis 3 from 17 onwards. He says that you are dust and unto dust you will return. And when you from the ability of dust try to work the earth, the earth will be cursed. Because you don't have the ability to glorify this world. You don't have the ability to bring life to this world. And that we can see in this world clearly, that man doesn't have the ability to bring eternal life, eternal protection, immortality, glorification to this planet. And God warned Adam. He says, Adam, in your own ability, you don't have that. I'm busy with a plan. I'm busy restoring things. I'm busy manifesting my kingdom here. Don't you think you must be the one that must take over and do the things? I am the one that will do it in you and I will be the one that does it through you. It is not you that must be the one that does it. It's not for you to do the work. I will do the work through you. Know your ability, Adam. You are from the dust and never eat 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then God said, oh my goodness, let me make sure he doesn't eat of that. Let me bring someone that can remind him not to eat of that tree, to help him in the time of temptation. And then he said, well, let me, uh, uh, let me bring some things that see if it can help Adam. Now I like now, it's, uh, we all know that these animals could not help Adam. But the writer of Genesis still feels need to put it in there to actually explain what took place when God brought the woman to Adam. He brought the animals, and as he was bringing the animals, Adam gave them names. Adam actually then saw what they were, and he named them what they were. And as he would name them what they were, it wouldn't assist him in not wanting to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It would not be a, a help in stopping temptation. It would, not be, it would not secure him or put a wall of protection around him. And then God said, well, I will put man into a deep sleep and then I will take something from him. I will take something from him. I will take one of his ribs and I will close it up with flesh. And then uh, he would wake Adam up out of that sleep and then present him with the woman, with another being that comes. I mean, all these animals were coming past and Adam would accurately name them and God would see that doesn't help. And to Adam, that is not a help in being an aid against the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he brought uh, Eve. And when he brought Eve, Adam looked at her and then he said, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. That's what he said there. Uh, <clears throat> I want to read that quickly there. It says, and Adam said, this now is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called. Can you see? He names her in verse 23. He names her, and she shall be called woman. Now, the word woman is of utmost importance here in understanding how she would help in him not being tempted. And we're also not going to understand the fall and why the devil went to Eve. So, <clears throat> what takes place here, he calls her woman. Now, the definition for woman is basically um, female of the man. That, that is, that's, that's all it basically is, the feminine of man. Uh, so you find in Afrikaans, I like the Afrikaans word, for those of you that understand Afrikaans, uh, it's the word manin, which just means feminine of a man. That's what it is. Now let us look at the definition of woman, and you're going to see something astounding here. <clears throat> um, in slide 10 it says there, woman defined, the, fir in the, fir the first form is the feminine of Hebrew word 376 or Hebrew word 582. The second form is an irregul irregular plural, a woman, or we can just say woman as in a plural form. So let's in, go to the next slide there and we're going to look further at that word. So we find here that it says in the previous slide that it's the Hebrew word eight, uh, 852, the feminine of the Hebrew word 852. And now we look at slide 11, woman defined. This is the Hebrew word 852 of which woman is the feminine. It simply means here properly immortal, properly 
a mortal. That's what it means. And that word mortal there has got a root word, H605, which you can see on the slide there, which means to be frail, feeble, or figuratively melancholy. Okay, let me explain all of that. Just for you to say, you know, figuratively melancholy. Melancholy means to be depressed without reason. <laughs> Please, ladies, don't be upset with me. What I'm saying is that uh, I'm trying to make a point. That's just, just a joke. <clears throat> what it says is that Adam saw someone that was taken from him. And when he saw someone taken from him, he says, this will be called woman, which means it's the feminine of myself. And actually, he's now seeing himself. And what he is saying is, she shall be called woman, for she is taken from me. She's part of me. And what he named her was mortal or the feminine of mortal, and that word mortal has got its root, which means frail or feeble. So what he was actually saying, every time he saw Eve, he basically named Eve, and he said, what Eve actually is, she is something that is from me, frail and feeble, mortal. That is what he would say. Why would that be a help to Adam? Simply, for this reason, every time he would see Eve, he would basically see his own ability and he would know that when he sees her, it's not, you know, from, if you don't have a mirror to see yourself, then you don't know how you look. And when he would look at Eve, Eve would be a part of him that's just put there so that he can behold that he is from the dust of the earth that he doesn't have the ability to have eternal life by himself, and that would be a reminder to him to never put his trust in his own ability. And what the devil did was, and what he knew he had to do was, he had to bring forth in Eve a picture wherein it looks as if she can do it by her own ability. So what he did was, he first deceived Eve, and then she first ate. She started to believe that she can make it. She started to live as an immortal. I'm immortal in myself. That's the kind of thing that took place there. And, the, and then she also gave to her husband. Then from that perspective, um, he didn't see her just as mortal, but she was convinced that she is not just a mortal, but that she can have eternal life by self-preservation, for she's an eternal being. She was convinced by the devil. And then Adam went and he also took off that. And the Bible says, and then they saw that they were naked. They saw their own inability. They saw that they are simply dust made alive. And that life that was in the dust that came forth wasn't an eternal life. That that being had to be united with God, had to believe upon the Lord, trust upon the Lord, and that God by His doing would inside this person that's got a personality, that's got a mind, that's got an intellect, that He would have a relationship with that person and so forever seal that person in life 
That is what would take place. Now, I, um, I'm not going to dedicate the rest of this message to trying to explain why it was like that. I would do it in a different message because one can say, why didn't God just make Adam from the beginning immortal and so forth? Now, there's reasons for that and I cannot get into that today. So, <clears throat> what he says here, and I want you to see this whole thing from the beginning. The writer of the book of Genesis comes and he says, listen, I want to explain to you the makeup of man. And the reason why that makeup of man is so important is so that men later on can behold Adam, see what Adam was, know that they are a descendant of Adam, that they don't do the same thing as what Adam has done, and that they can also then not try and find power by looking at the negative thing that happened to Adam, but that they can now behold the plan of God when God came and then took dust and uh, put a man into that, the heavenly man, and that that man died in the fullness of the death of dust and then was raised from the dead and conquered the weakness in the flesh, conquered that feebleness, conquered that inability, and that we can now, while we are still beholding our inability, look at the man that has no inability and eternal life, and that that would give us a hope. A hope that that man's glorification, the man Jesus, that that glorification will now also be ours. And in that hope, what it would do is, it would keep us away from continually walking in self-preservation or the law, or what Paul would call the flesh, manifesting sin in the flesh. And that would then bring forth on its part the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in our lives as the Spirit brings forth this brand new life. Now, uh, <clears throat> let me see, I don't want to miss something here. We're going to soon look at defining what sin is. But I want you to know, and I want to just, I just feel in my heart, let me just repeat this again. I'm going to repeat this again. This is powerful and beautiful. God, the writer of the book of Hebrews, writes Genesis, or the writer of the book of Genesis, writes Genesis. He wants people to know that man is made from the dust of the earth. The word dust has got meaning. That meaning there is debris or rubbish left over or something that is not in itself worth a lot. It is dead. And that was of the earth. Then God comes and He names, with a Hebrew understanding of what naming means, talking about who and what you are in your own ability there. And He says to uh, Adam, He calls the man He has made Adam, and Adam is from the word ground, Adama. In other words, what God is saying to Adam, Adam, no, you are earthy. Now, the moment you say you are earthy, but God also provides to you the tree of life, you don't have to try and find life in your own ability. You don't have to be ashamed because of your inability, for I provide you with everything. I provide you with that. That is what I give to you. But God said, I want Adam to clearly know and never doubt that he in himself doesn't have that ability unto eternal life. And what I'll do is, I'll take a part of him, take it out of him, and put it in front of him. And when I put it in front of him, let's see what he names it. 
And Adam said, well, I'm, and Adam named it correctly, that is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, therefore I will call her the, 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 the female form of a mortal man. That is what it is. So whenever he would see Eve, he would see, well, we are just mortals. And I think that is also very important even in our marriages today. Uh, I don't think we can take it directly like that, but to a certain degree, I think we can. Where um, I can come to Eliana and I can say to her, Eliana, remember, by our own works, we can never do it. We trust on God, not just to do it in us, but we trust that God, what he has already accomplished in the resurrected Jesus, where he has conquered the feebleness of our flesh, that that truth, which is in Christ, in the heavens, that that truth shall manifest in us, wherein that is our hope by the doing of God. You know what? That is what God wanted for Adam. And God would have, in a very short time, and I think we find what happened in Genesis, we find the very same thing um, when, we, <coughs> when we look at Israel, when it was taken out into exile and God came and delivered them and it was supposed to be a short walk into the promised land but then they made it a very long thing. God came and he took man from the dust of the earth and he wanted to uh, bring a restoration, he wanted to bring life there and then man, once he came to life, was not supposed to trust in his own ability, not wanting Egypt, not wanting all of those things. All these things are just a retelling of the whole story. And what happened? Man fell. Man said, I'm going to stand in my own ability. God said, well, I'll have to enter their darkness. I'll have to conquer their weakness and their sin and their feebleness um, and their melancholy, if you want to call it like that. I'll have to conquer all of that and then provide a glorified body as what they can look into, not saying, well, I look an, unto that body and I must now act as if I am an immortal. No, Romans 8 says we look into that body and then we patiently wait for the spirit that brought that forth in Jesus to bring that forth in us. And that is how we then cease to try and find holiness by the works of the law since we have this beautiful promise now, the promise of this eternal life. And since God has promised, what does it mean? If God has promised, there's nothing we can do about it but simply to believe on Him. And those who believe, the Bible calls them children of Abraham, pleasing unto God. Glory to God. Now, I want us to just look at, um, we're just going to look at defining sin. We're going to de define sin. Slide 13. It says in Romans 5 or 6, For when we were yet without strength, I want you to see this, talking about without strength, talking about a feeble body now, we're talking about a weak body, for when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commanded His love towards us, in that, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. Okay, what does it say there? 
It says there in verse uh, 6 that while we were yet without strength, I did mention this last week, but hear me out. While we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly means those who don't walk in godliness, who by their own power try to live, which was humanity. He says, for while we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 9, he repeats himself, and he, or verse 8, he says, that God commanded his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, or without strength, he died for us. Okay, so what is sin? Sin is, sin means not to have a share in, not to partake in, or in this case, beautifully defined as without strength. Without strength. Now one can say, Batty, but that is a really radical statement because are you telling me that God made Adam a sinner? Now, God didn't make Adam a transgressor, but if we define sin as weakness, then yes, God made Adam in weakness. He didn't make him a sinner, as we understand sinner. That's why we need to define these things, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. Please don't switch this off. Please hear me out on this point. God didn't make Adam mortal, but there was no sin between Adam and God. There was no sin in their relationship. But the moment Adam disobeyed God, then this weakness was now brought into the relationship. And that's why the Bible says, through the disobedience of one man, sin entered the world. So Adam disobeyed, and when Adam disobeyed, then in this world wherein Adam was living with God, his inability now entered this world and everything had its stance now from the perspective of Adam's inability or his weakness. So now Adam had to govern the world by his weakness. Adam had to bring forth life by his weakness. And so sin entered the world between the world wherein Adam was living when he was walking in his relationship with God. And now God comes and he wants to end sin. He wants to end sin in the flesh. It's very important to understand that. He wanted to end sin in the flesh. What does Paul say? Paul says that in my flesh dwells nothing good. In other words, as pertaining to obeying the law and having life in my flesh, in my own ability, I cannot, I cannot walk in life. Why? Because of the weakness, his inability, because of the weakness in the flesh, because of the feebleness in the flesh. The problem we have today is that we are thinking more of ourselves as what we ought to think as pertaining to our ability. And I put my emphasis on this, as pertaining to our ability to have eternal life. We just come and say we are just inherently immortal beings. And we start to say, well, we must just leave our sin and live right and so forth. You don't have that ability, my friend. Uh, immortality, according to Romans 2, is a gift from God to those who seek it and want it. That's what eternal life is. John 3 clearly says that he gave his son so that 
um, we will not be condemned or die or perish or continue in our weakness unto destruction, but that we can have eternal life. And how did He do it? He became a human, and in human flesh, He even entered the depth of the darkness or the end of walking in the power of sin or walking in our weakness. And then He condemned or destroyed sin in the flesh or the weakness in the flesh and provided a body that has no sin, which is above sin, which does not have any weakness. And now, since He took our weak body and brought that glorification in the resurrection, as we are beholding that truth now, He is saying to us, Behold Christ. Don't behold your own ability. Don't be in the flesh. Don't, don't, look, don't look at your willpower. That will destroy you, my friend. Behold Christ as the word about you. And that message, Christ, brings a hope in us, a confident expectation, not that we must now do and become like Jesus by living holy or praying much or fasting or any of those things or loving one another, none of those things. He says, behold that. And the Bible says that we have been born again unto a new and living hope. So we are not now having lives born from the will of the flesh. We're having lives born from the resurrected Jesus. And now we are born again from what? Unto this new or from this new and living hope. So this living hope talks about the hope of immortality, which is alive in the physical body of Jesus. And as we behold that, it brings forth a strength in us so that we then find the fruit of the Spirit and the first fruit of this brand new life. <laughs> Amen. I want to end off by just reading um, Romans seven fourteen to 17 and then the next slide there, 21 to 24. It says in Romans seven fourteen, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then slide 15, verse 21 there. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Do you see good and evil there? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see. In other words, in the depth of my heart, I want to do good. This is a thing of good and evil. You want to do good, but you can't. But I see another law in my members or in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of weakness or sin, and the law of weakness God described in the beginning, if you want to live by your weakness, you will die, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> so what is Paul talking about? He says, who will deliver me from the feeble, weak body? Now, God made man, and it, when he made man, man inherently didn't have immortality, 
but God was busy and God in a relationship with him would bring forth immortality and he would be the source of providing life. And God was every day there, walking with Adam, loving on Adam, showing Adam how good, he, how good God is and pointing Adam to God, pointing him to the tree of life. The only thing God said to him is, Adam, never find life in your own ability. Never find life in your own works. And God even provided Eve. God even provided the woman so that Adam would always have before him a reminder, a hedge around him, showing him, listen, it's not by our works. It's not by our ability. We're relying upon God. He will bring forth a life in us. He will, in us, through His life towards us, He will manifest life. And we will see a multiplication and a ruling. And we will see the effect that is on us manifesting in all the world. It will be the doing of God. And we, in our intellect and in our understanding, we can enjoy this relationship and God can actually have a love relationship with us and we can feel how it feels like to have the life of God in us. And in that trust and in that relationship with Him, we would even then find that the dust that Adam was made of, which was, like the Bible says there, a debris or a scattering of, of something that was there, we would find a restoration taking place and that would also be sealed unto immortality as what our blessed hope is today in Jesus Christ. And we would find an immortal Adam standing united in God as Jesus is today at the right hand of the Father. Glory to God. So, I end off by saying this. The Bible says that the law is weak in saving us, Romans 8 verse 1 to 4 that the law is weak in saving us because of our flesh. But God came in the flesh, in Jesus, for sin, for this weakness, to condemn this weakness in the flesh through Jesus Christ. And now we who don't walk after the flesh or walk in self-preservation or laws or any of those kind of things, but we who walk in the revelation, in this spirit of life, or this new belief of life in the resurrected Jesus, we will find that this resurrected Jesus actually heals all of our flesh. That's what the Bible says. He will heal your flesh. Glory to God. And so we will have life in this world by Him and the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, praying in tongues, healing of the sick, a holy life plus immortality in the day of the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Well, church, I have done as good as what I can in sharing this with you. We've put the slides up. It's on YouTube there. Go and watch it again. For those of you that watch via television, you can go to my website. This message that you've listened to now is a live webcast of our Dynamic Love Web Church Sunday service message. If you be part of this web church, if you want to slot in here on Sundays, please feel free, go to our website, bertiebrits.com or dynamicministries.com. Click on web church and everything you want to know is there. You can also just click on latest, you can click on web church, you will find latest live stream and this message will be there should you watch it in this week. If not, go into the archive and just look um, at the titles there, you will see it. Thank you so much for slotting in. 
I want to say to all of you, you are loved and treasured by the Almighty God. He is not ashamed of your weakness in your body. He knows and understands that we are but dust, the Bible says in Psalm 103, and we can, like Adam and Eve, walk naked and unashamed. In other words, we're not still yet seeing that immortality manifesting in us. We're walking as dependence upon God, but we shall, and we're not wanting to be unclothed, we want to be clothed upon with the immortal life so that death can be swallowed up in life, seeing the manifestation of God in our lives. Thank you so much for watching. I know you are blessed. See you again next week. God bless.